Welcome to the Gateway Baptist Church Podcast. This is a message from our series on the life of Joseph. Today, we look to Joseph's example of what to do when we are faced with temptation. As Brad mentioned, we are in week three of our series on Joseph. And we've been looking at the story, the life, of Joseph and how in the midst of some very messy circumstances, Joseph continues to remain steadfast to God and God continues to be faithful to his promises. And tonight we are just going to jump straight in to our text because I could try and set the scene that we're about to jump into But when you find out what the scene is, you'll realize, well, it's just going to be easier if we read it. So if you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to Genesis 39, and uh, we're going to start at verse 1, otherwise it's going to come up on the screen behind me. Now it is, we're going to read the whole chapter, okay? So sit back, relax, don't fall asleep, uh, get ready. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt... Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. 
When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was in there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Genesis 39. In this week's episode of the soap drama that is Joseph's life that we've been following along, we see a whole bunch of emotions and experiences. It starts off with blessing and favour. And then it moves and there is seduction and temptation. And then it finishes with betrayal and an accusation. And in this roller coaster ride of emotions, we see that despite the ups and downs, Joseph continues to walk with integrity. And as we look at this specific part of Joseph's life, you might be able to resonate with some of what's happening in that story with your own story. And although there are many points that we could touch on and unpack, tonight we are going to focus on one of these ideas, and it's the idea of temptation. Because if you haven't realized, we live in a world that is full of temptations. We are surrounded by things that are crying out to us, choose me, pick me, let me satisfy you. And when we're faced with temptations, it's not our great intentions that make the decision for us. In fact, it is our strongest desires that directly affect the decisions that we make. And we see this happen in a specific moment for Joseph, and it can for us as well. But so often, it's not as blaringly obvious as it is for Joseph. We may find ourselves making what at first we think is a very minor decision, But after making one small choice again and again, each of those decisions can lead us to a place that we never intended to go. And maybe tonight, that's your story. You're sitting here thinking to yourself, I don't know how I got here. I had every intention to make wise choices in my relationships, but I just find myself with conflict all around me. I don't know how I got here. I really wanted to be a a great employee, but it just has become too easy to cut corners in all these different areas. I don't know how I got here. I had every intention to stop looking at those images online, but it's just become a part of what I do. I don't know how I got here. I wanted to honor God in my dating relationship, but I know I've gone too far. I wanted this year to be different, but I find myself stuck in the same 
cycle of giving into things over and over again. And whether it's a one-time decision or a series of small decisions, we know that when temptation stands in front of us, calling out to us, pick me, choose me, let me try and get you what you want, our strongest desires directly affect the decisions that we make. And while we may have great intentions, our great intentions don't stand a chance against our strongest desires. And while this happens on the deepest level inside of us, it's probably easier to first talk about this on a really shallow level. So I feel like we've kind of gone deep quick. We're coming straight out. We're going back up to the top, okay? See, every time I go to Coles, whether I'm grocery shopping for my entire family or I'm just running in to get a couple of things, when I go to the self-serve checkout line, there is a $1.12 chocolate that is screaming my name, saying, choose me, pick me, let me satisfy that desire that you have within you right now. And my desire for chocolate is nearly always stronger than my desire to be healthy. And so across the scanning pad, that chocolate goes and into my belly it goes. So we can have great intentions. We want to stay fit. We want to get a good amount of sleep each night. We want to spend more time with God. We want to be people who are honest and full of integrity. We want to prioritize our closest relationships. We want to be hardworking employees. We want to honor God in our relationships. But when we are faced with a decision, whether it's big or even small, our great intention doesn't stand a chance against our strongest desire. And we see this even more so in our culture of instant gratification because it says that if you want it, if you desire it, then you should be able to get it and you shouldn't even have to wait to get it. You should be able to get it now. And we see this kind of thinking as we look at this story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. In verse 6, it says, Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And she sees Joseph. He looks pretty good. And essentially, she says, I want you and I want you now. And as we unpack these verses in Genesis 39 tonight, my prayer is that wherever we are right now, whether you're sitting here thinking, I don't know how I got here. Or maybe tonight you're sitting here and you actually feel in a, a good place. But as you look to your past and decisions that you've made, you're actually wondering how on earth could God ever use someone like me with a past like mine? But wherever we sit tonight, I believe God wants to encourage us that despite the choices that we make in our lives, God in his sovereignty continues to bring his plans and his promises to fruition. But I also believe there's a challenge in this for us tonight as well. Because if you've decided to follow Jesus, then our strongest desires are not what they used to be. And Paul 
writes a number of times about this in his letters to the churches in the New Testament. And specifically, he writes to the church in Ephesus, this in Ephesians 4. He says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, if we've decided to follow Jesus, our desires are now different. Our desire for God and living his way should be greater than these deceitful desires. And we see Joseph live this out in the moment that is captured in verse 9. Joseph responds to Potiphar's wife saying, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And what I find really fascinating about this interaction is, is that in ancient Egypt, it's thought that there was actually a really low moral expectation on even married women. And it was assumed, it was assumed that they would have sex outside of marriage, which makes Joseph's refusal even more phenomenal. Because although this may have actually been culturally acceptable, He doesn't focus on that. He doesn't focus on what is acceptable in his culture. He doesn't focus on what feels good to him in that moment. His first thought is, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? His first thought is not about himself. It's not about what he wants. His first thought isn't about what would be culturally appropriate. His first thought is, does this honor God? And I want to ask you tonight, when you're faced with temptation, when that thing is standing right in front of you saying, choose me, pick me, let me satisfy you, what is your first thought? I know for me, my first thought is usually all about me. What do I need? What do I want? What do I deserve in this moment? But when we decide to follow Jesus, our first thought has to change. It's no longer about what I need or what I deserve. Our first thought should be, does this honour God? But if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you know that it's, it's just not that easy. So your desires, they have a mind of their own. They don't care what you should be doing. They just want what they want. And even our God-given desires are hard to keep under control. And Paul, again, writes about this inner struggle in Romans. He says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. We live in a fallen world. And since the moment, that moment in the Garden of Eden, when the devil tempted Eve and she listened to that voice, there is a voice inside of us trying to tell us that every desire that we have is good. Every desire we have should be pursued. But as followers of Jesus, we've said, I don't want to live my life gratifying the desires of my flesh 
I want to live a life that honours God. And because this idea is not as easy as it sounds, we actually need constant reminders and constant encouragements to ask this question, to ask ourselves, do my decisions and my choices honour God? And as we look to this small part of Joseph's story tonight, we're going to find four very practical tips from Joseph's lived experience that can help us make God-honoring decisions when we are standing in the face of temptation. So we are about to get very practical. Is that okay? Great. little resounding yes, but I'll keep going anyway. Verse 10, it says, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So Joseph refused to go to bed with her. That for him was off limits. But we read here, he didn't just stop at that. It says he refused uh, to even be with her. See, when it comes to temptation in our lives, there is usually a line that we have already pre-decided we don't want to cross. And often we think that if I just don't cross that line, then I'll be fine. But if having kids has taught me anything, it's that our human nature loves to push the boundaries. And so if you've got an edge and you're like, I'm just going to stand on the edge and try and not fall off the edge, our human nature is that at some point we're probably going to step off the edge. And so what we actually need to do is not have our boundary on the edge. We actually need to take a few steps back and have our boundary further away from the edge. And so practical tip number one is set the boundary further away from the edge than it needs to be. Because if it's right on the edge, you're only one step away from living a life you never intended to live. So what does this look like? for us in our lives. Let's think about in kind of business or your work. Your line, your edge might be, I don't want to lie to get ahead. That's just a, something I'm not willing to do. I'm not willing to cross that line. And so for you, you actually might need to take a couple of step back, steps back and say, even if it is something small, truth, is always important. I am always going to pursue truth even if it's in something small. What about in our relationships? You know, I don't want to be that person that is the gossip. You know, that's a line I don't want to cross. I don't want to be the person that just kind of continues to share all these things about other people. That could be your edge. And so what you might need to do is take a few steps back and say, you know, that means that Whatever someone tells me, whether big or small, I'm just going to be a vault. I don't want to be that person that talks about people behind their back. And let's think about it now in terms of our dating relationships. Let's say as a follower of Jesus, the edge is that I don't want to have sex before marriage. See, if you just keep it at that point, You're actually only one small choice away from stepping over the edge 
and ending up in a place that you never intended to be. And so you actually need to take a few steps back and make your boundary further away from the edge than it needs to be. Now, when it comes to dating relationships and talking about boundaries, often people shy away from being specific in what those boundaries look like. And that might have been your experience as you've been in church. You know, it's kind of talked around. You know, if you're asking the question, it's not the right question. I don't know if you've ever had that said to you. But the reason that happens is because you run the risk of two things when you get specific talking about boundaries in dating relationships. And the first risk that you run is that you run the risk of making people who have really good boundaries in place, that have done a lot of hard work to think about this, you run the risk of making them feel guilty by articulating something that is different to what they have already pre-decided. But on the other hand, you also run the risk of giving people permission to do things that in their relationship might not be healthy for them to do. And so often, kind of from a broad perspective, it's not tackled. But I'm going to run the risk of both things tonight. But hear my heart in this. I don't want to make anyone feel guilty and I'm not giving anyone permission to do anything you've already pre-decided you don't want to do. But I want to articulate three boundaries that I think are really wise in dating relationships if your edge is I don't want to have sex before I'm married. Now, as I say this, you might think I'm prudish, you might think I'm liberal, but my desire for you to have God-honouring relationships is much greater than my desire to have you like me. So, here goes. If you, as a Christian, want to save sex for marriage, keep your clothes on, keep your hands off, and don't lie down together. Now, not all of them need clarification, but some of them do. Keep your clothes on. That's just it, plain. Just keep them on. Keep your hands off. This one does need clarification because it's really not just your hands. It's pretty much any part of you. Keep it off the other person's private parts. I knew people would giggle when I said private parts, but I didn't know how else to say it. So that's what it is. Keep your hands off, pretty much everything else off, the other person's private parts. It just is a very slippery slope. And what else else is a very slippery slope is lying down together. There is something, I don't know what it is, that when you go from being vertical to being horizontal, it is just one step away from being in a place you never intended to be. So whether it's sleeping in the same bed, whether it's lying down, watching a movie together, it's just a really, there's a lot of wisdom in not lying down together. I'm stopping now, okay? You got those three points? If you're taking notes, write them down. So when it comes to identifying boundaries, identify the edge, identify that line that you don't want to cross and don't make your boundary on that line. Set the boundary further back from the edge than it needs to be. 
And that was only practical tip number one, okay? We've got three more to go. Practical tip number two. And the next three tips actually come from verse 11 and 12. So I'm going to read it again. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. See, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties and there were none of the household servants around. So practical tip number two is avoid being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, we don't exactly know what happened in this situation, whether Joseph knew that there was no one in the house or whether he had no idea. But what we do know is that because no one was in the house, the story didn't go the way Joseph intended it to go. And if you're aware of your surroundings, you can try to avoid being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because there are certain times and certain places that make temptation even more tempting. Simple things like avoid going to the shops when you're hungry. I can't tell you how much food I've bought that I don't need because I'm just hungry when I go grocery shopping. Avoid working late in the office when your cot co-worker is also waking, working late in the office except if they're your husband, and then you can. <laughs> Avoid scrolling or searching on your phone late at night when you're feeling lonely. And as my young adults pastor, who's otherwise known as Jason Ellsmore, said to me and the whole young adults congregation when we were young adults, if you're in a car late at night with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, get out of the flipping car. I'm pretty sure that was a direct quote. Nothing good happens after midnight when you're in a car. So identify what time and place makes your temptation more tempting. Work it out and then avoid being in that place with that thing or that person at that time. And I reckon you know right now what that is. You might not have to think about it too much because you probably... It's been a struggle. Okay, third practical tip. And it doesn't directly say this in these verses, but we can deduce from this account that if there had been witnesses to this interaction that went on between Potiphar's wife and Joseph, the story may have ended a little bit differently. And so practical tip number three is that witnesses are important. And there's a couple of angles we could go with this. See, when you're feeling weak, Sometimes it's the strength of others that can help you. And I know for me, I rarely succumb to my chocolate addiction when Tim is at the checkout with me because it's very likely that I've told him only a week before, I really need to eat less chocolate. And so when I go to grab the $1 chocolate, he's standing right beside me and he's saying, didn't you say you wanted to eat less chocolate? And I'm like, oh, this is why I don't bring you grocery shopping. <laughs> but that's the great thing about accountability. Make sure you have someone in your life that you can be honest with so that when you're weak, when your defenses are down, they can remind you of the life you intend to live. They can remind you of the life that you want to live. But secondly, 
We can also look at it this way. There are just some things we do in private that we just wouldn't do if other people were around. And if you're thinking to yourself, I don't want other people to know that this thing is a part of my life, then that is a red flag suggesting that it's probably beneficial for you to bring that out into the light. Go to someone that you trust, tell them what's going on, and ask them to hold you accountable. See, witnesses, having people around us is important. And so identify who in your life can keep you accountable. Who can you be honest with about the things that tempt you and give them permission to ask you questions about how it's going. And then fourthly, at the end of the verse, we read that he left his cloak and ran out of the house. Practical tip number four, if you can, flee from temptation. When Joseph saw what was about to happen, he was up and out of there. And if we don't sometimes turn and run when we're in certain situations, our tendency will be to linger. And when we linger in a space where temptation is screaming at you, pick me, choose me, let me satisfy you, your good intentions will be overshadowed by your strongest desires. And because we live in a fallen world, our strongest desires are sometimes not reflective of the life we intended to live. So sometimes we just need to run. Sometimes we need to get out of the flipping car. We need to turn off the computer. We need to get off our phone. We need to get out of that office. We need to take ourselves out of that conversation. If temptation is staring you in the face and you can, flee from it. So there's four practical tips Set the boundary further away from the edge than it needs to be. Avoid being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Remember that witnesses are important. And if you can, flee from temptation. So that's the practical part done. And now we're in for a good dose of reality. So get set. Because even though Joseph had good boundaries and fled from temptation. He was still in the wrong place at the wrong time and had no one to vouch for him. And he is caught up in these accusations and he's put in prison. So even if in the face of temptation, your desire to honour God outweighs your desires of your flesh, here's the good news, people. Things might still not turn out the way you thought they would. But what does Joseph do? when things go belly up for him? Does he throw in the towel and say, you know what, stuff that. I'm not going to bother trying to live a life that honours God. Or does he say, you know, well, next time, I think I'm just going to, it'd be better for me if I just choose what is culturally appropriate. He doesn't. Even in the midst of serving a punishment for an act he didn't commit, Joseph still chooses to live a life that that honours God. And this actually points us 
to the life of someone else who also received a punishment that he didn't deserve for a crime he didn't commit. And in Matthew 26, we read of Jesus' own struggle with his desires of the flesh. Verse 39, it says, He fell, so Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus knows all too well the struggle with temptation. He knows that the spirit is willing, but he also knows that our flesh is weak. He experienced it himself. He saw the struggle in his disciples and he sees the struggle for you as well. And Jesus had to deny his own wants, his own desires and say, not my will, but yours be done. And when temptation stands before us, whether it's one big decision or just a bunch of small decisions, the question before us as followers of Jesus is, is my desire to honour God stronger than the desires of my flesh? And I just want to read some more of the passage I read before in Romans 7, because I think Paul articulates the struggle that I know I experience and that I assume you experience as well with this. And I'm going to read it from the message version because it uh, just puts some uh, easier language to resonate with. It says this, I realise that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. How these words resonate with the struggle that we all feel. And so often we think the focus is on whether we have what it takes to fight temptation. But what I love about the stories of people that we read in Scripture is that there are those who desire to live a life that honours God, but there are also people who, despite their best intentions to honour God, 
have given in to the desires of their flesh. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know there's also a man in the Old Testament called David who is in a similar situation to Joseph, yet he gave in to the desires of his flesh. Yet what is constant is that God continues to fulfill his promises. God does not eliminate people for the decisions that they make. God continues to work through people, continues to fulfill the promises that he has made. And John Walton, in his commentary on Genesis, talks about this idea that we might think the focus of Genesis 39 is Joseph's ability to live an honourable life despite all the things that are thrown at him. But then he goes on to say this, the narrative of Genesis 39 fits in the larger scheme portraying how God in his sovereignty brings his plans to fruition through what appears to be the most devastating of circumstances. We all struggle with temptation. We are tempted and sometimes daily to give in to the desires of our flesh instead of living lives that honour God. But the resolution of our story is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that light is Jesus. And through his death and resurrection, he has acted to set things right. And I know tonight in a room this size, we all come with different experiences, with different stories, with different pasts, with different hurts. But tonight we might actually just feel really stuck, stuck in a place that we never intended to be. And we might be thinking, I don't know how God could use me with the past that I've got. We might be right at this moment with a decision in our life, standing in front of temptation. There's something that's actually saying to you right now, choose me, pick me, let me satisfy you. But in this moment, with all of us here tonight, with all of our different stories, with all of our past hurts, with all of the decisions that we've made, I believe God wants to lift our eyes off our circumstance lift our eyes off our past, lift our eyes off the temptation that's standing right in front of us to the one who is standing there saying, I love you. I paid the price for you. And I want you to walk with me each and every day. No matter where we're sitting tonight, no matter what we're feeling right now, there is a God who despite the messy circumstances that surround us, is faithful. He is the one who fulfills his promises. And I believe that he wants to remind each of us tonight that he desperately wants to walk with us each and every day. And although our flesh is weak, his spirit is willing. So stay close to him. Don't run away because you think you can't be near him. 
remind yourself of who God is and the promises that he's made to you. Fix your eyes on the one who is faithful. And as you keep walking with him day in and day out, as you keep immersing yourself in his word and praying and spending time with him, do you know what? It actually becomes easier to when you stand in front and are faced with temptation to make a choice that doesn't just fulfill your own desires, but is a choice to honour Him. See, the more you walk with Jesus each and every day, you'll find that the desires of your flesh gets less and less and your desire for God gets more and more. And so the challenge for each of us tonight, no matter where we stand, no matter what temptation stands in front of us, no matter what our past is, the invitation from God is, will you walk with me each and every day? Because God wants to help us in this life. He wants us to walk with Him and He has set out His kind of plans for us in His Word. And He's saying, hey, come with me, follow me. Let's live this life together. And so in the midst of temptation, the temptation that surrounds all of us, remember, God is inviting you and saying, come follow me. I know it's not easy. I know the flesh is weak. But come follow me and I have a good life planned for you. As we do this journey together, it may not be easy. The struggle will be there. But as you live every day, hand in hand with God, we start, our perspective changes and the desires of our flesh start to become the desires that God has for us. Would you pray with me tonight? God, we are so thankful that you are our God, the one who is faithful, the one who is constant when everything is changing. And God, we sit here tonight and we know that at some point we've all stuffed up. But God, we are just so thankful that you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for us. And right now, just as your eyes are closed, I just just want you to bring to your mind the temptation that is there for you. It's probably going to be different for all of us, but I reckon there's something in your heart that you know stands in front of you, whether every day or it just kind of pops up every now and then and says, choose me, pick me, let me satisfy you. And you know the struggle it is. You know the times that you have given into your flesh and you've walked down that path, a path you may have never intended to go. But what I want you to do right now is as you bring this thing to your mind, offer it up to God. And just be honest with God and say, my flesh is weak, but Holy Spirit, come and give me strength. And so God, I ask that by your Spirit, your Spirit that is here with us right now, God, that you would come and fill each of us with strength. God, that as we continue on day by day, Lord, may we want to walk each day with you. And God, as we do that, may we start to understand that even though our flesh is weak, God, your spirit is at work within us. 
and your spirit is at work to continue to help us walk on the path that you have for us. So God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that by your spirit, you are here with us right now. And God, I pray that you continue to strengthen us, continue to give us everything we need to walk the life that you're calling us to live. And God, we just want to honour you. We want to lift you up in your rightful place because you, God, are the one who is faithful. You are the one that can bring about good things in the midst of dark circumstances. And so, God, tonight we lift our eyes to you. We look to you, the one who is greater. And God, as we do, may we just be captured by you and who you are and who you're calling us to be. God, we thank you. We love you. We praise you and we say amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.